0: Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, January 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Today, what to expect when Prime Minister Theresa May addresses Parliament. The U.S. government shutdown heads into a fifth week as President Donald Trump makes an offer to Democrats, and FT reporters crunch the numbers on U.S. bank workers' pay rises. Then, James Peliti joins us to explain what's at stake in the race to find the next president of the World Bank. I'm Amy Keane, and here's the news you need to start your day.
1: Hello, I'm Henry Manson, political correspondent at The Financial Times. This week is all about Plan B. It's all about what Theresa May, the prime minister, can come up with after her Brexit deal was so resoundingly defeated last week. I think when the prime minister addresses parliament on Monday afternoon, it's likely to be less exciting than some MPs and indeed journalists would hope for. She's unlikely to set out a whole new range of policy ideas around Brexit or tweaks she wants to renegotiate with Brussels. She didn't seem to contemplate defeat before last week's vote. And so I think instead the frame of mind she's in is in terms of talking about the process of reaching a decision, who she's going to talk to, what dates she has in mind and what kind of vote she's going to allow Parliament to have. She's committed to allowing Parliament a vote indeed her hand's been forced in this. There's going to be about a week on Tuesday but that probably won't be on a fleshed out plan B either. So what do we know about her thinking? Well on a conference call on Sunday evening with her cabinet she said that she wanted to find a solution to the Irish backstop. That's the sort of real key complaint of Eurosceptics because it holds that Northern Ireland will be tied to EU rules after Brexit in order to Avoid a hard Irish border unless other solutions can be found. And I think this is significant because it suggests that Theresa May is is not tacking towards the centre, she's not going for a soft Brexit, she's looking to appease Conservative MPs, the Democratic Unionists who are hard Brexiters. And that may really shake the coming days because the attempt to build cross party consensus may well have faded. So if that's the case, you may see cross-party initiatives, moderate MPs, pro-EU MPs really stepping up their pressure, trying to take control of this process from Theresa May. And it will be up to her to try and keep control of this while she can come up with a fleshed-out Plan B.
2: I'm Karen Stacey in Washington, D.C. For the last few weeks, close to a million Americans have gone without pay, thanks to the ongoing battle between the Democrats and the Republicans, which has resulted in the country's longest-ever government shutdown. With most voters blaming him for the shutdown, on Saturday, President Donald Trump did something he almost never does. He reached out to the Democrats and offered them a compromise That is sorts. why I am here today to break the logjam and provide Congress with a path forward to end the government shutdown. I will and extend so protections for certain groups of migrants, he said, Three years of legislative relief for 700,000 DACA recipients. If you will give me $5.7 billion to pay for a wall on the border with Mexico. If we can agree on those measures, I will reopen the government. The response from the Democrats was so fast, it was actually made before the president even gave his televised address. Responding to widespread reports of what the president was about to offer, Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi was instant in her dismissal. There would be no deal, she said, which included a border wall in any form. With the president's poll rating falling and the standoff continuing to take its toll on the economy, the onus remains on Mr Trump to prove he really can master the art of the deal.
0: And the numbers are in. According to analysis by FT reporters, average pay at America's top six banks is rising at a significantly lower rate than that of some of the bank bosses. The FT reports that pay per employee at JPMorgan Chase, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, Citigroup and Morgan Stanley rose by just over 3% last year, while chief executives at the banks were rewarded with increases as high as 7%. These final pay numbers are set at the end of the year. And despite a volatile fourth quarter, 2018 was a year of record profitability for Wall Street's biggest banks. The total net income for the top six banks rose 18% to $119 billion in 2018. And you can read more on the way each of the top six banks performed last year and what that means for bankers' compensation at ft.com forward slash banks. And here's something else we're following. Earlier this month, World Bank President Jim Yong Kim abruptly resigned. He'll serve until February 1st, and the race is on to find his successor. The FT's World Trade Editor James Peliti talked to Eric Krupke about how this might signal a change of direction for the organization.
3: So the World Bank was founded after the Second World War as part of an effort by the U.S. to create a new sort of international economic order with itself really at the heart of it. And so World Bank was charged with sort of alleviating poverty around the world. The International Monetary Fund was created in order to help troubled countries get out of debt problems and other financial difficulties. Both were based in Washington DC. And for decades and decades, they have really been sort of at the heart of the multilateral economic order. So the World Bank's influence around the world has been somewhat diminished in recent years. Can you tell us why that is? Well, so as um, emerging markets have grown in clout in the global economy, World Bank has kind of faced sort of mounting challenges One is that regional development banks have become more important and larger. There's some competition, essentially, for the World Bank's uh, services. And on the other hand, private capital has grown dramatically as well. So on one hand, the World Bank is facing competition from other institutions like it. And on the other hand, um, it is facing growing competition from private and state actors who are increasingly doing many of the projects that it has traditionally been doing. And what about any problems it faces domestically in the U.S.? Given President Trump's America First policy, what is the bank's relationship to the Trump
1: administration?
3: The World Bank, um, like many multilateral institutions, was, was for many years sort of backed with sort of bipartisan support across the US. And then um, in the recent times, um, Republicans in particular have grown more skeptical about using taxpayer funds to back multilateral institutions and spend money on development aid as well. And with the Trump administration, that sort of um, skepticism reached a fever pitch, essentially. And, um, There was a big negotiation over the World Bank's request for a capital increase. Ultimately, they did a deal which sort of curbed staff salaries at the bank and sort of uh, set some new limits for the bank's operation, but also offered it some more new sort of fresh capital to work with. Now that still has to get through Congress, but that was considered a, a sort of a big milestone for the bank. Um, in the meantime, with the U.S. and China being at loggerheads over economic policy and in the midst of their trade war, the U.S. has increasingly kind of viewed China's influence at the bank with suspicion, and in particular has been sort of skeptical and critical of what they see as the World Bank's research on the China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is a big investment spree across developing economies to fund roads and bridges and all sorts of um, big projects. The World Bank has done research highlighting actually both benefits and the risks of this Belt and Road Initiative investment, but the U.S. feels that, that it is tilted a bit too much towards the benefits. And how might that relationship with the Trump administration affect the administration's nomination for a new World Bank president? Well, so what we've seen since Jim Yong-King's departure, and the Trump administration has kind of rushed uh, pretty quickly to set up a process to pick a nominee. And I think that we would expect whoever is picked, if they get approval from the World Bank Board, because ultimately they do need approval from all the shareholders and all the countries, I think that they would most likely try to uh, sort of limit or reshape some of the World Bank's initiatives on climate change, because as we know, the Trump administration is very uh, skeptical of um, climate change initiatives. I would imagine that a a U.S. nominee for for the World Bank would also try to reshape the bank's relationship with China. And also, in addition, I think that they would probably try to transform some of the World Bank research on Belt and Road, and, and definitely stress sort of the risks of Belt and Road, rather than the benefits to, you know, developing and poor countries.
0: You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today, we'll be watching Moscow, where Russian President Vladimir Putin is set to host Japanese President Shinzo Abe. The two leaders are expected to discuss a territorial dispute over four small islands, and Tokyo is hoping that Mr. Putin and Mr. Abe will be able to restart negotiations over a potential treaty after a difficult meeting between their respective foreign ministers last week. This has been your daily FT News briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation,